but that was a picture of me. So, but we're in Peter, and uh, so we're, what we're doing is going verse by verse through a certain part of the Bible, and uh, so it is now a Thanksgiving message, though I'll, I'll mention just a little bit about Thanksgiving. But we're in, in Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, and, uh, and if you read the book of Peter, uh, Peter is preparing the Christian brothers and sisters for suffering. They're going to suffer. And, uh, and he was proper in doing that because, uh, well, we know the history. Nero was the first man to begin some, uh, bringing persecution to the church. He was the first one. And this guy was insane, put it that way. But then all sin is insanity, it really is. But he burnt Rome. He, he loved to build things. And so he set Rome on fire so he could rebuild it. But then he got in trouble for that, and he said the Christians did it, this new sect that was uh, exploding in the world. He said Christians did it. And so we, he was the first to begin to persecute Christians. They were in, in the things you read about persecution of the early church, this was the first wave of persecution. And we know Peter and Paul were, were martyred under Nero. They were, he was. And Paul was beheaded, and Peter, great Peter, was crucified. And, they, and just imagine, he said, I don't want to be crucified like my Lord. Crucify me upside down. Now, it's interesting what I've read, and just, I don't know, this is a little side note, but the upper class people, when they were executed, they were beheaded. And we know that Paul was a citizen of Rome, and he, he used his citizenship. Paul was beheaded, and the common people a lot of times were crucified. And so Peter probably did not have his citizenship. They crucified him. And, but anyway, Nero commits suicide, and uh, with the aid of somebody else, he was, he was quite a weakling, I guess. But then the next wave of persecution came under Domitian, and he was, he was like Cain in the Bible. He killed his own brother. He killed senators uh, and then stole their estate. And so, uh, uh, and then the arena, we all hear of the arena where Christians were killed in the arena. Uh, the arena was a place if somebody was under execution, they would put him in the arena to be killed and people watched him be killed. And uh, he would dress a, a Christian up, they said, as a, an animal and put furs on him and then send the dogs in to kill him and kill the Christians. Uh, and then also, and I always think of this one because I've, I've, I've run from bowls already in the cow yard and uh, but the, the bull they, they say some they brought the bulls in to kill Christians and they would throw them up in the air a bull would and you know how a bull kills a person they lay on them they crush them and Christians were killed that way in the arena so 
it was a, a terrible time for the Christian church, but yet the Christian church kept growing. And then um, the next wave of persecution came from Trajan and uh, Plain, who was uh, governor of Pithony, he wrote Trajan. And so we have a letter that we know that these things really did happen. And he wrote Trajan saying, you were killing thousands of Christians and they're good. They're pretty good people. He had pity on them. He says they don't commit adultery. Uh, they don't steal and so on and so forth. And he, he had pity on them. So we have that letter and we know that that happened. And then the fourth wave, and that's the last one I'll go with, Decius. And he's the only one that set up laws that you had to burn incense to Rome. And if you, you did that, you got a certificate. You had to do it annually, every year. And you got a certificate to show that you were in good standing with Rome. But the Christians wouldn't do that. And uh, so they were executed for it. And uh, there were, it became a problem in the church because there was certain people that had the certificate and they wanted to be part of the church. They wanted to... And so it brought great difficulty to what the church leadership should do with these people. And so Peter is preparing Christians for suffering. Now, the, this letter was written about the time that Nero started burning Rome. So it was before all this stuff, but he was preparing uh, Christians for suffering. And so as you read the book of Peter, there's a, they talk about suffering a lot there. And so I, I just wrote down some verses through the book of, of Peter, uh, just kind of for review as we think of, of the early church. And uh, first of all, in four, when we're in chapter four, he, he says, put on the mind of Christ, okay? And uh, Christ's mind was lowly. It was a lowly mind, and he thought higher of others than himself. And so that's the mind Peter says put on. And uh, then he says, as obedient children, fashion yourself as Christ. Uh, be like Jesus Christ. Fashion yourself as Christ. And we know Christ suffered, and we are to fashion ourselves like Christ. And then it says, and I think of Thanksgiving, it's Thanksgiving season. Uh, it says, laying aside all malice. And what malice is, is bitterness and anger. And you know, all of us have some of that in our lives. And uh, we, we think back when certain experiences happen to us that were unjust and we become angry and bitter about that. So we're to lay that aside. We're not to hold on to that. And in other verses are talking about malice. It says, let your malice be like children. And we know children, uh, they get mad about stuff. But then five minutes later, they're playing together. And they, they lay it aside all the time just to have some fun. And uh, if you notice in your family, it's the adults that usually hold on to malice. It's not the children. So we're to lay this aside and be thankful. 
You cannot hold on to bitterness and anger and still think you're being thankful to God. You just can't do that. And then it says, lay aside all guile, and that is trying to get revenge for the, un the injustices that have, may have happened in your life, uh, hypocrisy, pretending you care for people, but really on the inside, you're angry with them. And then, and all envy, and we, we all, all have this envy desire to always get things, and we're to lay that aside. And then, because of malice, but we find all evil speaking. If we got malice, you're going to speak evil of other people. And so that's the thing we're to do as we prepare for suffering. And then it says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. And then it tells us, for even hereunto were you called, because Christ suffered. We are called to suffer. And uh, there's a lot of injustices that happened in everybody's life here. And I know that. I don't care how perfect of a family you were raised in. There's injustices that happen to you. And you, you can get very bitter and angry about those things. And that's suffering. And we're to become like Christ because he suffered. And uh, we are called to suffer. And for Christ suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. And as we talked about, Christ resisted sin, but then he, he resisted it to the point of death. And what he has done by resisting sin, and he loved us so much that he has disarmed all of us. None of us can ever say God does not love us. None of us can ever accuse God of anything because God gave his life for all of us and he loves us that much. And we're to be like that with others. And then says, think it not a strange, strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. So don't think this suffering is necessarily strange, he says. It's a promise in the word of God that if you stand for Christ, you will suffer. And we all suffer to certain degrees in life. And then it says, when it comes to suffering, but rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy because you suffered for Christ. And as Daniel 12.3 tells us, the future for those that suffer for Christ, and I think of uh, Paul and Peter and all the martyrs, and they that, that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmaments. The rewards they get for eternity is unbelievable. They will shine as the stars. And so we're just going to cover a few verses here because I don't know, I got where I don't want to go too long and uh, lose everybody and everybody falls asleep. So, <laughs> so we start with verse seven and it, it, it says here, but the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity 
among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. And every man has received a gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man ministers, let him do it as the ability which God has given, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then the last verse, Beloved, think it not a strange thing, the fire, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. And with that, we'll pray. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we just pray that we too can suffer as you suffered, Lord, and you gave us a great example. And uh, we just pray that we understand these words and are able to apply it to our own lives. For each one of us deserve hell, but Jesus came and died for us. And we just thank you for your word and for Peter and for what he wrote. In your name, amen. Well, I want to say uh, a shout out to two to of my granddaughters that are in the car listening. And uh, I want to say hi to Mira and Lucy. Make sure you guys listen. So I just want to say hi to them. Okay, we come and we're going to look at uh, these few verses. And the, Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. You know, I, I somewhat have difficulty with that verse because he said that about 2,000 years ago. And then John, in the book of 1 John, he says, it's the last time. We're at the last. And then in, in Hebrews, it tells us, uh, for a little while, he that shall come will come and will not tarry. And so I, 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 I just want us to look at Acts real quick. This will be the only place we'll, we'll move out of this book. But in Acts, Acts chapter 2, and uh, some believe in, in Acts chapter 2 would support that, that the whole church age is the last time. And some people, and there, this, these verses here would support that. And so it, it starts with verse 17. And it says, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servant and on my handmaiden, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. 
Now we know that this happened at Pentecost. The Spirit poured out upon the church. The church begins. So it's kind of like a bookend. This is the beginning of the church age, the bookend. But we then come to verse 19, and we don't recognize, and I believe 2,000 years in between, verses 18 and 19. The other bookend is when Christ shall come back. And he tells us in, in verse 19, And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And he said, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and, and no, noble day of the Lord, the Lord coming. So uh, we find a bookend when the Lord comes back. And, and then it says, and during that time, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, that means us Gentiles, shall be saved. And so we find the church age here, and in this portion of Acts, it's called the last times. Now, I don't know how, how you know, I hear sometimes say that whole age is the last times, and uh, I don't know for sure, but uh, that's what it says here. And so we, we must be careful with that. And I, I sometimes have some questions, but we know one thing, when you read Peter, John, any of those, they had great expectations to be living when Christ comes back. And so uh, Peter says, but the end of all things is at hand. And John says, it is the last time. And, uh, and I, I kind of just want to look at what John, John says he has reasons why he believed it was the last time. And, uh, and he tells us in 1 John, he says there's many antichrists. That was one sign that he knew it was the last time. And then the other thing is that there was a great falling away. He says in the next verse, they went out from us, but they were not of us. And that's when Gnosticism came into the church. And, but he too had great expectations of the coming of the Lord in his time. And I, I, as you study the scriptures, this is what the word of God wants us to have too. Great expectations that the Lord may come in my lifetime. And it's just kind of interesting as we look at John, he calls, calls this person that comes is an antichrist. Now that was common knowledge in the early church. They knew who the Antichrist was. Uh, Jesus called him the abomination of desolation. Uh, Paul called him the man of sin or the son of perdition or destruction. And John in the Revelation called him a beast. And uh, they all knew that he would be the manifestation of Satan. And uh, for a brief time, he would rule the world and he would oppose God, and he would blaspheme God. And so they knew of these things from what Jesus and the other apostles and prophets said. Now, Francis Schaeffer, and that 
maybe we got to go back to the 80s or 90s. He wrote a book called How Should We Then Live? And uh, this is what Peter is teaching us. How should we live in the expectations that we are living in the last time? We're not talking about uh, uh, the end of everything, but we are talking about of a disp different dispensation that's coming where Christ will rule the world. A Jew will rule the world. And that's what he's talking about. There will be a change of dispensations and Christ will rule the world. And how should we then live? And uh, the word of God, Peter tells us is in this portion of scriptures, but I kind of want to look at the extremes because some of us go to extremes, including myself. Uh, and then I got my wife, uh, tells me when I go overboard. <laughs> but uh, thank God for our wives. No? But uh, yeah. <laughs> but there, in Second Thessalonians, there's an extreme. There was a letter written to the Thessalonians that they were living in the day of Christ. And Paul, and it was said it came from Paul, and Paul writes 2 Thessalonians to tell them that that's not true. I didn't write that. And because of these people who went to extremes, they quit their jobs because the Lord was coming. And so Paul writes this letter to tell them to get back to work. And that would be extreme. The Lord's coming, I'm going to quit my job, and I'm going to uh, be a busybody, and so on. And that's where you hear Paul says, if you don't work, you don't eat, which is kind of contrary to what goes on in our country. If you don't work, you don't eat, he told them there. Other extremes is what you call preppers. And you'll hear of preppers. These are people that are preparing for the great disaster and they store years of food. They may have underground shelters uh, preparing for, for this and so on. So uh, that would be extreme. You could read the Bible over and it will never tell you to, it's all selfishness, preparing for yourself and uh, uh, so on. You'll never find in the scriptures to tell you ever to be a prepper. And uh, then the, the, on the other side of, uh, and we'll read on in this verse, it, in, back in Peter, it will, it will tell us, well, this is what it says. But the end of all things is at hand. Be sober and watch under prayer. Peter's seen the signs of his time and expecting the Lord to come back in his time. Now it says watch there. And there's some people that prophecy covers a great portion of the Bible and some people don't even ever look at it. And this is what it says to the Sardis church in Revelations 3.3 and I wrote it down. It says, if therefore thou will not watch, I will come on thee as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. And so the Sardis church is corrected for not watching. And as we uh, 
We think of people who do not look for the Lord's return. Automatically, you become grounded in this world. Instead of looking for a new kingdom, you began to make your own kingdom on earth. And so there's a great danger of that, and that would be extreme. And then two young people. And I, as I remember being young, um, I didn't want the Lord to come back. I wanted, I wanted to get married. I wanted to have a family. I wanted this and this and this. And I understand that with, with young people. But there is going to be a generation where you're not going to be able to do that. And uh, uh, so that would be somewhat extreme. And as we look at, and this is what Peter was looking at, this is what John was looking at, at the world today and the anti-Semitism, because when Christ comes back, he's coming to re rescue the Jewish people. He's going to rescue them from the claws of the Antichrist. And so we look at all this stuff, the war in there and so on and so forth. We think, man, and, and then the immorality and all the craziness and what people are, are saying is true and it's not true. Uh, all the adultery, all the broken marriages, so on, so forth, all the sin. We say, are we there? Now, I personally believe we are. Uh, and we could get into that too, but I, I don't want to. But So it says here, it tells us how to live in light of Christ's coming. It says, be sober. And what does that mean? Just take life serious. And we're not talking about not having fun or enjoying each other, but just taking life serious. That this, this life is going to pass away. And as older people know, for sure it is. All we do is have a little history and, and we know it's ending. So we're told to be sober about life, take it seriously. And then it says watch. And we're to watch unto prayer. And each one of us have families. And we know young people, there's much more temptation out there now than when we were young. Uh, unbelievable amount of weird things that are going on. And so we are, we are told to pray. And as adults, as we, we are all given families, pray for our families. That's who God for sure has given us to pray for. And we're to watch in prayer. That's what we're to do in light of the coming of the Lord. And this is what Peter is telling us, because he believed it was coming in his time. And you could look at the, his times and you'd say, hey, he's probably right. I would have. And then it says, number one thing that we are to do is to love as Christ loved. And it tells us here in verse 8, and above all things, love or have fervent love to who? To each other, the church, other Christians. That is who you are to love. And it's a fervent love. It's not selfishness. It's not about me, but we're to love the church. And so many of us, especially in America, we want to be Mr. Independent and uh, so on. We are to love the church, and we'll see this. He, he continually tells us, among yourselves. And then he says, 
for love shall cover a multitude of sins. If you're loving, you're not judging others. You're caring for them. It covers a multitude of sins. Each one of us have oddities and strangeness about us and goofiness about us. Uh, whatever it may be, we're to cover that up. Cover the multitude of sins if you love somebody. And that is what Peter is telling us as we prepare for the end of times. Fervently love each other fervently and love the church, other people that believe in Jesus Christ. And then do not be judgmental because love will cover a multitude of sins. And then it tells us use hospitality. Now, hospitality is sharing what you have, whether it's a house or not. And we have to realize this book is talking about a time when these people were scattered. They were in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was having persecution. They were scattered up into Turkey. Now, if you're scattered, you don't have no home. You don't have anything. And uh, you got to have a place to stay. They didn't have hotels in those days. And... He says, use hospitality. And he says, again, with one another, with Christians, help them out. Uh, and this is what we're to do as we prepare for Jesus Christ to come back. Help each other out. And then uh, he tells us without grudging. And in generally, he's saying without selfishness. You know, when we grumble about something we have to do, it's pretty selfish, you know, that we're being very selfish. Uh, we're showing our sin on the inside. We may pretend we're going to be very hospitable, but then when we start grudging, grumbling about it, we're showing that inside we're not being very hospitable. And so he tells us that as we prepare for the end of all things. That's what he says. Use hospitality, help each other out. And those people needed help. They were being scattered. And uh, have them come into your homes. We know that in World War II, there were Christians that took Jews in uh, at that time and hid Jews. Uh, they were being hospitable. And they did it as a ministry to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're to do that. And... Uh, and then these, this 10 and 11, verses 10 and 11, is generally to stay busy during that time. As it said in, in the other book that we looked at, uh, that um, I'm trying to think what I, on staying busy, oh yeah, in the Second Thessalonians, he tell, Paul says, get to work, stay busy during that time. And it tells us here in verse 10, and as we, each one of us think about it, as every man has received a gift, and when you come to Christ, God gives you a gift, a gift to minister one to another. Even so, minister the same, and like it said, one to another. So God gives us a gift, and what is that gift for? It's to help each other, edify each other, so that we continue on, we don't give up. You ever feel like giving up? 
I know the Apostle Paul himself despaired unto death. That can happen to us too. You feel like giving up? And we need brothers and sisters that will encourage us and edify us and to use their gift, whatever it may be, to do that. And uh, we are to minister one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And I, I just want to go back to the parable of the, the stewards. There was, there was a parable that Jesus gave of stewards that this king gave them a bunch of talents. But the one guy was only given one talent. And he, he knew that this king was very, very expected a lot from him. And he took that talent and he buried it. He buried that talent. And the king comes back and he's very angry because he says, you could have put it in the bank and got interest for me. And uh, the, the man buried his talent. Now, God gives gifts. And if we bury them, uh, actually the bad steward was thrown into hell. Because he never, he was one that said he had faith, but had no works to prove it. He never developed what God gave him. He's one that maybe was just a churchgoer. And uh, that was it. And he never developed that gift. And there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so we find he tells us to be good stewards. Develop the gift that you have. And how do you develop the gift that you have? Whatever it may be, mercies, faith, uh, teaching, whatever, is by doing it. And as you do it more and more, as you're more merciful and so on, you begin to do it better and better and better. And you develop that gift. And so it tells us to be good stewards, to be busy serving one another and caring for one another. And then 11, it says, if any man speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Now, the oracles of God are the word of God. Speak as if God is speaking. And if any man ministers, let him do it as the ability which God has given him. And the reason is God wants to see us grow. He wants to see us grow as Christians. And uh, he says here, the reason that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Now, Brother Irv, the older man that was here, when he came to the Lord, and I just want to share Irv, man, the guy couldn't hardly read. And to see the growth in his life is a miracle. It's really seeing a man who has been changed. And uh, that's what God wants out of us. He wants us to grow, grow in the things of God. And then it tells us, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So as we think of what Francis Schaeffer said, how should we then live? Peter is telling us how we should live in the light of the end of all things. Or John says it is the last time. So how we should live. This is not extreme. Uh, this is just common sense. And to be busy in the things of God and to keep a job 
take care of yourself and your family, and so on and so forth. Be hospitable. Don't be a complainer, and so on. And then verse 12, I want us just to look at that in concluding. It says, Beloved, think it not a strange, strange concerning the fiery trial. And they were really having trials, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. And because it is a promise, it's a promise in the scriptures that if you are a Christian, you will suffer. That's a promise. And so don't think it's strange. And with that, let's close in prayer. So. Lord, uh, we just thank you for these words and help us not to be extreme like sometimes we can be, uh, but help us to apply just uh, what Peter says here and help us to love. I know the capacity for us to love sometimes is not very great, but help us to love above all things each other. And we just praise you for your word and for everything you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.